0: hey there film buds welcome back to the film buds podcast i am your host paul
1: and i'm lauren
0: and uh with february comes a new theme uh last week or last month on film buds uh we were doing all of the movies that we missed in in 2021 uh dear what did you think of that overall experience with last month's theme
1: um, I really enjoyed it. It was a nice catch-up on what what people have been talking about that I had no opinion of. And also, I really just enjoyed, within that, us going, what if we chose the weird things?
0: Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> with the exception of, like, being the Ricardos, almost everything that we talked about last month, um... Isn't really like big awards show nominees, contenders, that kind of thing, um, but I also really enjoyed last month. Um, I thought that it was super fun. I thought that we got to explore a lot of really interesting movies and really interesting film or uh, and really interesting sort of perspectives within those, um, and I also enjoyed grouping them kind of thematically, episode by episode. Mm -hmm. inside of the umbrella of um the movies from 2021
1: no yeah honestly like I had a really fun time with it um I'm glad that we didn't watch anything that I really didn't want to watch you know going and making a list of movies and picking out the ones that we we did really want to (laughs) watch was was a nice like turn of pace instead of being like what if hear me out we watched Venom (laughs)
0: <laughs> Let there be carnage
1: Let there be boring I didn't want um, to watch it
0: But no, I, I think that it was really good And part of the reason that we chose it Beyond just the fact that We kind of wanted to, to Change up the model a little bit For the last few months of the year Where we focused on Literally almost everything else But new releases Was also because we had this idea for This month's theme uh, Which is all historic so last month we were doing everything new that we we could realistically fit in. Um, and this month we've decided to do a total gear shift and go, let's go back like almost a hundred years.
1: Honestly, is that not the <laughs> Film Buds way?
0: <laughs> it is under my management.
1: No, yeah, we watch so many old movies. Honestly, I really enjoy watching old movies with you. It's It's a way of of exposing myself to things that I would have never otherwise been been keen to watching you know (laughs) it's it's a it's a great educational experience but also like it's a fun kind of like go back in time and, and imagine being in the in the 20s or in the 30s and this is new
0: yeah um no I completely agree I think that it's you know it's so easy especially i think in the the streaming era to get caught up in a deluge of what is new you know yeah. every week there's something new on a streaming service for you to watch and that can almost become its own trap because then you can start to forget to look backwards at what came before And where some of the foundational um, cinematic landmarks are.
1: And honestly, with that, with everything being now on a streaming service, it's even lost that that feeling of when we were growing up and you had to turn on the TV at a certain time to watch something specific that you wanted to watch. You had to really put in effort. Now you can just scroll.
0: Yeah, and... Also, what has been lost in the streaming era is there are certain movies that are harder to find streaming, where once upon a time, you know, somewhere on TV, you could probably find certain movies. But that's also, again, just because so many movies come out now. Yeah. It's all about freshness and, and you know, what's popular being put into syndication. You know, it's, it's a totally different, totally different ball game.
1: Yeah, or even just getting to go to the getting to go to your local blockbuster and getting to like walk through the shelves and find something that you've never, you know, would have never grabbed otherwise because you didn't know what it was. That's how I found Nosferatu.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and like, um, independent video stores. If you still have one, give it patronage. Um, Charlotte used to have Vizart. Ah, oh, Vizart which was, like, the place to go to rent really just any hard media in general. But also they had, you know, Criterion releases. They had older films. Um, they had international cinema. Like, it was one of the only places really in the Charlotte area that you could go and do that, and now it's completely gone.
1: Yeah, honestly, I think that we're going um to... We're going to be bringing this kind of model back. I think that, you know, everything happens in a loop. Eventually, we're going to go back to the the hard copy, you know, mantra of media. Because it's already happening in the music world with everybody buying up vinyls.
0: Well, and we're already seeing it a little bit with the, uh, the genesis, the sort of rebirth of uh, VHS.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: There's a lot of people out there releasing things on VHS again. So hopefully it comes back. Honestly, it's back enough that I've really thought about going out and getting a a modern VHS player.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, because we don't we don't want my crappy TV that still plays VHS that's like maybe twelve inches at the maximum.
0: I saw this uh Twitter post and it was like I got this TV and all these VHSs for thirty dollars and like it was a great VHS collection. Oh uh. like it had like Titanic, you know, um it had, oh God, what else was, I'm trying to remember some of the titles because I scrolled, like I zoomed in on the picture to- I
1: remember you doing this! To see.
0: <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, this shit is good, you know, like heat, you know, mm-hmm. on VHS and, and that kind of thing. Um, well, fun fact, if I'm not mistaken, the last big US studio release on VHS before this rebirth was uh, David Cronenberg's A History of Violence with Vigo Mortensen and Ed Harris.
1: Is Cronenberg also the fly? Is that the same person? Mm-hmm, the oh. Cronenbergs,
0: Morty! <laughs>
1: okay, okay, I was... <laughs> I just wanted to clarify for a second.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, now that I've belabored the point a little bit with chitter-chatter, and I apologize for, for you all if you're bored, um, this month's theme... <laughs> is historic best picture winners we're in the middle of award season right you know all of the award nominees are out the oscars actually got delayed again they they normally happen in about february but last year they got pushed to march this year they've been pushed to march um
1: any any particular reason for them being um, i mean yeah i guess you know they they still haven't <laughs> been able to make zoom cool for the oscars <laughs>
0: um and so yeah they've uh they've pushed the oscar ceremony back but we had this idea a few months ago like december we started sitting down and planning november december we started sitting down and planning and we were like let's do a whole historic best picture winner month and I thought that it would be also a great opportunity to get some guests. Um if you caught the newsletter, you already know everything that's coming out this month. Um so if you didn't catch the newsletter, we've got some guests coming up. Um one of them is one of my first film making teachers. You know, um I I studied film in, you know, just independently on my own. For years, and then I had a teacher that I took a film class with in high school, Eric Whiteside. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first teacher that ever taught me sitting down and making a film uh, was at a, a summer session program at a college of filmmaking. And so, one of my first teachers that ever, and you know, he was the one that mentored me when I made my first film of any kind, is going to be a guest this month. A friend that I made at that program is going to be a guest next week. Um, and so we're going to go, and essentially what's going to happen is each episode this month, we're going to do two movies an episode uh, with one movie from each decade. And so this episode is the 20s and the 30s. If you're listening to it, you already know it. You saw the title and you clicked it. Um <laughs> <laughs>
1: Are you just blind clicked? And I mean, Woo,
0: let's press it. You know? Hey,
1: good on you. You've got more. You've got more more freedom than I could ever have in my life.
0: <laughs> you are a free spirit. That's right. Um, and so next next week we're doing 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, then 80s, 90s. Um, and so we aren't really getting into the modern era, but that's okay because I imagine honestly that most of our listeners have probably been.
1: Alive. alive and relevant
0: enough in this kind of field that they saw a lot of the Audis nominees and 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 the teens and so forth.
1: And honestly, if you didn't see them, you've heard of them at this point in your life. People can't. Return stop of
0: the King. Talking trash. About them. Yeah. Uh, you know. So, uh, our first two films. I decided. You know, let's begin. The twenties. We didn't have a lot of options because they started. In nineteen twenty-nine, so they and they covered the years nineteen twenty-seven and nineteen twenty-eight. So we didn't really have a lot of options with the twenties. So our first film is the very first. Uh, it was at the time called outstanding picture winner Wings. Uh, and then our next film comes a decade later, a full decade later, uh, with the film You Can't Take It With You.
1: Honestly, I like Outstanding more than Best.
0: That's fair. Um, and actually, it went from Outstanding Picture to Outstanding Production.
1: I think that that's great. No, actually, because I feel like that's an entire encompassing of, like, everybody. Like, it took a production to make this thing. And it was outstanding. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're just like, that film is nice nowadays. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: well, and to your point, you know, best film, you can kind of just sit down and, and look at that idea. If we're getting into, I guess, like, you know, the, the pure verbiage of it. You can sit down and you can get into this idea of what did I enjoy watching the most? Yeah, What was flashy? What was splashy? What was cool? Um, whereas if, you're, if you are looking at it from this terms of it is a production, multiple people were involved in the producing of this, then your best productions, your outstanding production nominees have to kind of be all-encompassing nothing can really be lacking. You can't be like, oh, it's the best film, even if the, the whatever wasn't really that good.
1: No, yeah, and I just think that outstanding. Like, it just sings so much nicer than like, oh, yeah, it was the best, you know? Because, like, you go to any corner coffee place in New York and they've got the best coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, the
0: best slice of pizza. But, yeah. like,
1: outstanding standing, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that's like really high praise. Like that's mm-hmm. a that's a that's a good word.
0: No, for sure. Um and so we decided that we would go down this road and so um I also thought that it would be a good time if you've if you've been listening to Film Buds at all during my tenure, I love to take a few minutes to try and actively bore you until you turn off the show. Uh <laughs> And so... So
1: skip ahead.
0: (laughs) Here comes a little bit of a history lesson on the Academy Awards. So the Academy Awards are, or the Oscars, as they are known, are put on by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Uh, One of the founders of the Academy was Louis B. Mayer, uh, who eventually went on to form the Conglomerate Studio back in... In twenty nine, he had his own company, the Louis B. Mayer Picture Corporation, but eventually he he combined his company with a few others, and they formed MGM, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. And so he was one of the founders of it, and for a little while, the president of the Academy was the famed actor Douglas Fairbanks. And... In the early days of the Academy, they actually ran uh, films based on essentially two years worth of production. So the very first Academy Awards in 1929 were based on films made in 27 and 28. It wasn't until... um, 1933 that they decided to condense down to single years Um, and then originally there were only 12 categories and there was only a best actor and a best actress it wasn't until 36 if I'm not mistaken that they added in the supporting actor and supporting actress category. Um, also, of interesting note, they used to uh, send out the nominees or the winners to newspapers, so that way they could print like a an evening edition or a morning edition that had all of the winners.
1: I'm sure that it was probably a a morning edition, so that that way, the very next day, if you didn't catch the show... Oh, I guess... How did they they broadcast this? Not everybody had a television. Well,
0: I'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. So, uh, the winners would be then printed in the newspaper. It wasn't until uh, 1940, when the LA Times decided to print the winners early for the 39 Best Picture and all of that winners, that they then went to the sealed envelope format. Mm. Um, The very first show, the very first uh, Academy Awards, were not actually put on radio or anything like that. Um, It was a private ceremony of about 200-some-odd people. Uh, You had to pay to get a ticket. And it was at the Roosevelt Hotel in California, uh, in LA. And the winners had been broadcast like weeks before.
1: And so they were just showing up to get their trophy?
0: Supposedly, the ceremony lasted between five and ten minutes.
1: You had to pay <laughs> to be there for ten minutes. Mm hmm. It better be a Well, there
0: was a party, I think, afterwards. But oh, the of ceremony there was a party. itself was only about five to ten minutes.
1: That's that's literally like going to a wedding, where you're like, all right, the ceremony, let's just, you know, we're done here.
0: (laughs) I do? I do. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: The Academy Awarded.
0: uh, It wasn't until the second Academy Awards that they transitioned to radio. Um, The first Academy Awards televised were in 1953, Okay. Uh, And since 1969, they have been televised globally. Um, And so that's a little bit of background on the Academy Awards. I don't want to drown y'all in information and some of the controversies that have come through the years. That comes later. Um, (laughs) But that's kind of an overview right now of the ceremony. And so, uh, the very first Academy Awards had the nominees of, for Outstanding Picture, Wings, The Racket, and Seventh Heaven. Uh, Unique and Artistic Picture was a separate category.
1: You! and artistic. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the modern equivalent of whatever that means is the, the musical and comedy section yeah. where they were just like, and whatever here. That
0: included <laughs> a film called Sunrise, Chang, and The Crowd. Uh, then there was Best Directing Comedy, which included uh, Lewis Millstone, Charlie Chaplin, Ted Wilde, Best Directing Drama, Frank borzag herbert brennan and king vider best actor emil jannings richard barthelmess that's a name uh and charlie chaplin janet Gaynor, uh Louis, louise dresser and gloria swanson for best actress best writing original story underworld the circus and the last command Best Writing Adaptation, 7th Heaven, Glorious Betsy, and The Jazz Singer. Mm. Um, Best Art Direction, The Dove, Tempest, 7th Heaven, and Sunrise. Best Cinematography, Sunrise, The Devil Dancer, The Magic Flame, Sadie Thompson. Best Engineering Effects, Wings, and then for Roy Pomeroy, And then they just nominated, in a general sense, Ralph Hammerass and Nugent Slaughter just for their work over those two years, not for any specific film.
1: You know what? I like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then Best Writing for for the title cards was a separate category as well because back in the first Academy Awards, it was nothing but silent films. With, like, the exception of The Jazz Singer, but even that has title cards. Uh, the Red Mill, The Private Life of Helen of Troy, and then George Marion Jr., again, just for his work during that two-year period.
1: It literally says no specific film. hmm Just in general. You're doing a great job.
0: But, we're gonna be talking about one specific film tonight, and that is Wings... Uh, By William A. Wellman And Surprise We have a clip
1: We have a clip We have a clip Amazing
0: So take a listen Paramount presents Wings The first movie to win an Academy Award For Best Picture The sorry of two men who have gone to war And the girl they left behind Starring Clara Bow, the It Girl, Gary Cooper, Buddy Rogers, and Richard Arlen. Wings is a whopping air spectacle, dominated by remarkable aerial stunts. So that was Wings from 1927. It was directed, as I said, by William Wellman. It was written by John Monk Saunders, Hope Loring, and Lewis D. Lighton, And it stars Clara Bow, Charles Buddy Rogers, Richard Arlen. And honestly, that's kind of the... Oh, well, I, I will say this just because she's an interesting character that I'll bring up later. Julia Swain Gordon. And the premise... Is two young men, one rich, one middle class, who are in love with the same woman, become fighter pilots in World War I? Um, I have a little bit of a history lesson on this, so shall I, shall I kick us off? Sure. Okay. So, first of all, this film came out back at a time where World War I was not known as World War I. It was referred to as, do you know?
1: The Great War.
0: The Great War. There was no World War I until there was World War II. Uh, and this was at a time where aviation was kind of at a, at a peak interest for people because Charles Lindbergh had just circumnavigated the globe.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, Charles Lindbergh, most people know for the disappearance of his child, uh, which was a, an unsolved mystery... But he was he was famous back at the time for being an aviator. And um, there was a lot of very popular sentiment for World War I at the time, the Great War. A lot of people really felt like we, the U.S., had done a lot of good there. Um, and so there were several films that glorified our involvement in the Great War. Uh, interestingly enough... Uh, however, most people were a little bit bored with a lot of stunt work and spectacle that had been put on screen, right? Because at this point they had been exposed to Chaplin, Keaton, so much incredible stuff put on film that it was getting to some people's standards a little bit harder to wow them. So our screenwriter, John Monk Saunders was a soldier in the Great War uh, training to be a fighter pilot, but he never got to see any action. By the time that the armistice was signed, he was still stationed in Florida. And uh, Saunders had, I think, um, random real quick note, just a fair warning, there's a lot of bleak stuff that comes ahead with some of the lives of some of these people
1: I mean, they lived in the 20s. So
0: a little bit of a of a content warning regarding, like, suicide, assault, all kinds of stuff.
1: Delightful. Oh,
0: yeah. So, uh, John Monk Saunders always apparently was very disappointed that he never went to war. He was really, really gung-ho to go and be a fighter pilot. Um, and it was always kind of this chip-on-his-shoulder... Along with other things, he had a lot of drinking issues, etc. cetera. Uh, and he ended up writing this story that got converted into a script. And he wrote one of the early drafts of the script. And it was, you know, about fighter pilots. Um, the uh, studio picked it up. They were working on it, and so they decided to pick this director who was known as, from his aviation days, Wild Bill, William Wellman. And uh, William Wellman had been an active fighter pilot in the Great War. Um, He was a part of the French Foreign Legion. He went over there with the U.S. military, he got picked up by the French Foreign Legion, and he was an American fighter pilot in the Great War. And he read the script and he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to do some of the craziest shit that you had ever seen on screen with planes.
1: Well, he nailed it.
0: Yeah. Um, And he wanted it to be big and bombastic. And he knew very precisely every little thing that he wanted. Um, William Wellman uh, is not anyone who would have passed muster by a lot of current standards. Um, he apparently was very abrasive with women, oftentimes telling them, put on as little makeup as you can. And when they would be like, but you might see the lines on my face. He was like, I don't care. Um, and he tells a story about one time when he was briefly an actor where he and a woman ended up in a bunch of water and she couldn't swim. And so his decision was to knock her cold So that way he could get her out of the water. Wow.
1: (laughs) Life was different a hundred years ago.
0: Yeah. William Wellman was Wild Bill. He was known for having a bit of a hot temper. um, uh, For being a bit of a drinker. Um, And and I I watched some interview footage with him. He was an absolute madman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's
1: putting it so mild.
0: Uh, the production on the film was quite the to do. Um, certain people wanted certain cast members, and he completely rebuked that idea and instead chose our leads, uh, Richard Arlen and Charles Buddy Rogers. Uh, Richard Arlen was also a former fighter pilot in in the Great War. So three people involved with this film all had pilot training, pilot experience, and two of them legitimately were pilots during the Great War. Uh, Charles Buddy Rogers had none, but he still ended up logging 90 flight hours during the production of this film because William Wellman was determined that this was going to be the best thing that you had ever seen on film with planes, and so... They did early aerial photography the first two weeks of all of it were essentially useless and they scrapped all of that footage um It was a two million dollar production which at the time uh or now translates to about uh twenty six to twenty eight million when adjusted for inflation um they- they cast Clara bow as the lead female not the one that our are two at main actors are fighting over or at odds over, but is the one that is kind of this sad lost puppy dog lover chasing after one of our two leads. Clara Bow, uh, had a very troubled life, a very troubled childhood. Her mother was institutionalized after attempting to kill her. Um, she was sexually assaulted by her father, but she ended up when she got into Hollywood, becoming a precursor to Marilyn Monroe.
1: Oh, okay.
0: She was kind of this sex symbol, you know, this titillating figure on screen. She was also apparently very particular. She had demands that the script be rewritten, which is why we have two additional writers on the script. And um, also she was apparently very particular about her costuming. And her costuming led uh paramount who released the film their lead costume designer didn't want to work with her he didn't like her and so he ended up just passing it off to this woman that worked in his department who turned out to be edith head and if that name doesn't mean anything to you you should look her up edith head is one of the most award-winning costume designers ever uh she's i think got 32 nominations in her career starting in the 40s because they didn't have costume design as a category until the 40s and she won eight awards nice. so she's got a 25% clearance rate
1: those feel like the awards that happen during the commercial breaks
0: yeah they're the ones that they really truncate um and the film overall um He wanted it to be spectacular so he put cameras on planes and he went and he got uh, additional support from the military partially through Saunders and they supplied roughly 16 million dollars free of charge for the production of soldiers, equipment, planes, all kinds of stuff. They even brought people in from other states. Wow. And so it was filmed in San Antonio, which at the time was slated to be the next L.A. And they filmed at military bases there, and he strapped planes to it. And so Richard Arlen was really the one flying his plane all of the time. But our dear friend Buddy Rogers, who couldn't fly, had another guy that would take off for him. And then he would... Jiggle the stick to let him know that he was about to start recording and and doing the take. And then that guy would just, like, duck down into his little pilot hole. And Buddy Rogers would do all of the flying. He puked, apparently, every time that they landed. Noted. Uh, Also about Clara Bow, the term It Girl comes from Clara Bow. Uh, A few years before this, she did a film called It. And it was a big breakout role for her. Very
1: oh my gosh! Splashy it was role. She was
0: the it girl.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh.
0: And um, this film became a benchmark standard for all other war films, aviation films. Uh, it is one of the films that Tony Scott, the director of Top Gun, wanted to try and recreate the feeling of with Top Gun.
1: I don't think I've ever seen Top Gun.
0: Oh, okay, we can watch Top Gun, but that's kind of where I'll leave it. Um, it also introduced Gary Cooper, and that's kind of where I'll leave it. Dear, what did you think of 1927's Wings?
1: Dude, man, I don't. I don't think I can top anything that you just said. <laughs> <laughs> You just went on for so long about all of this history and stuff, and I was like, I watched the movie, and (laughs) it was delightfully entertaining. (sighs) See, see, this is what you do when I'm at work all day being bored, is you do mountains of research, (laughs) and I just sit here and go, yeah, my eyeballs absorbed it, and it was nice
0: no come on you gotta have something um uh, (laughs) i know you you have opinions
1: no yeah but uh, i mean okay i liked it it was good um
0: (laughs) what did Uh, you think of this i guess comparatively to other silent films that you have seen
1: um okay so i guess compared to other silent films that i've seen that we've watched um this movie was very like literal as as, as much as it could be for the times because because it is a silent film there is a lot of like over exaggerated um acting and things Play it like for that like
0: the back row kind of thing
1: Exactly and there's a lot of like physical um not like humor but um without lines you have to tell people what you're doing with your body it has
0: to be very performative
1: yeah exactly especially with the guy who played like the the dutchman he was very much like almost mime like yeah where it was or like a like a clown like it was it was very much like physical instead of necessarily like any words coming because like you know and in silent films you do see their mouths move you just don't hear anything and then you get the title card that pops up and like especially um i think that a lot of silent films at least the ones that i've watched in the past have really leaned into this like otherworldly effect of you know, the, the, the subject matter, you know, with the, the, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, or with, with Nosferatu, or, you know, I really watched a lot of, like, I guess what it would be called, like, silent horror movies, and this was the first time that I'd ever watched something that was, you know, this was it. It was, it's a, it's a war movie, but it's, It's not just a war movie, you know, it's it's a it's a story about love and about friendship. And honestly, this movie really, really just like speeds on through for it to be almost two and a half hours. Yeah, it really doesn't feel like it. And we talked about this before, but I definitely feel like. The reason that the movie is so long is because it is a silent film and we don't just get the expediency of people literally talking. We have to see the scene and then they have to give us the lines. Yeah. And and I really enjoyed a lot of the, you don't need this person's lines. And I was like, this is hilarious because there were so many times when um, It Girl, name, I don't know. Clara Bow. Clara Bow's character, Mary, Mary Preston would would be actively like saying something and you could see it and chattering she, away Yeah she was just supposed to be you know this annoying um, girl next door kind of character that you don't really pay attention to, or you know, our our male lead isn't interested in because she's just like that little sibling.
0: Yeah, she's like the the spunky girl cousin that he doesn't have any interest in.
1: Yeah, and so there was just like, especially in the beginning, you know, she would have like whole bits where I was like, yeah, and then we're gonna get a title card for her, and then it never happened, and then you don't get it, and I was like, this is this is a hilarious choice, especially. You know, for this movie, living in it being a silent film, the fact that it was like, no, you get to live very much in his perspective right now, which is like he's not listening to what she's saying. So you, as an audience member, do not get to get what she's saying. And I just thought that that was that was such an interesting choice, and I I really enjoyed um, getting to watch this this movie honestly i had kind of forgotten the fact that like silent films do the the whole like yellow is daylight blue is um nighttime yeah the
0: early color process of just like straight dyeing all of the film
1: because this movie was set in the day so much that i once it finally like went to nighttime it was almost like jarring i was like holy crap it's night yeah um, but no, I thought that this movie was really interesting, and I completely understand why it won Beck's picture at the time, and now i I have not seen what it went against of of its of its day um but i I really enjoyed all of the acting I thought that they they all did a phenomenal job, honestly, this movie looked really good that you could have told me that this were modern actors putting on a performance and I'd been like oh yeah you know let's go watch something else that they've been in kind of thing I think that this movie was was really interesting and is probably the only world war one movie I've really ever seen
0: there aren't because of the
1: the nature of world war Two.
0: There are not many movies that, in modern times, that are set in World War I. Like, 1917 and Wonder Woman are probably the two most recent World War I movies. And see, movies. I straight and World up... War, and, and Wonder Woman, for me, kind of cheats a little bit, and it feels very World War II. Well,
1: I was about to say, I, I was about to say that I completely forgot that Wonder Woman was a World War I movie because of the fact that it's it's cribbing so much on like that World War 2 feeling of it being, you know, us against the Germans and like this and like yes that was World War 1 as well, but I think especially with the American education system, we really just say like the World War 1 happened and then we skip to a whole year of studying World War 2, you know. So other than 1917 which i think is a phenomenal movie very interesting i um this is this movie is very much steeped in it being a world war 1 movie and i that's such a rare phenomenon i mean like i understand that this is modern history for them this is recent history
0: yeah like a a decade old at this point
1: you know that would be us talking about the afghanistan war or something you know it's just ah, desert
0: storm something like that yeah
1: it happened yesterday Mm -hmm. but no um i thought that i i really enjoyed this movie i thought that the themes were still very um relevant to to films that we've watched recently to to life today and life always because like at the end of the day you know, these these are people. They have people emotions. And I think that if you're truly fluent in watching movies, you can find something that pulls you in to these people's lives that is, you know, that is a connecting point.
0: Well, I think classic things, timeless things, not even classic, I'll say timeless. Timeless things touch at, universal human truths Mm -hmm. of emotion. And this movie is ultimately about brotherhood. Yes. And about the camaraderie of these two men. And about their... their sharing of the hardship and them having tender moments and them truly bonding, even though they come from different backgrounds, through... Uh, the this kind of insane crucible of being brothers in arms in the Great War, the first mechanized war, the first war that America has really fought in since the Civil War. And so it's, it's I think, you know, really steeped in this journey of, of brotherhood and of sometimes petty jealousies. And on the Clara Bow part, this this unrequited longing, and so I think that ultimately it's all really steeped in a lot of still relevant human emotions, to where even if some of the things are a little bit different, or even some of the time and and presentation of things doesn't fit with what we normally see as now, the emotional core is true, and that's also why, spoiler alert, but the movie's like almost 100 years old, so whatever, um, that's also why at the end, when Richard is, uh, when uh, Richard Arlen's character, David, David is dying, and Jack is holding him, and and weeping and crying and is so distraught, it lands. Even all of this time later is because you've seen them bond, you've seen this story collide to this point and um and it still is
1: sad no yeah because it's honest and i think that i think that once you kind of like brush away once you once you get used to watching silent films because i will say this that um silent films take like a learning curve i would say just because of the fact that they are so physical you know we don't we don't walk or talk or act like this and it's it's really exaggerated in order to to get across
0: It's kind of like if you've literally never seen a play before.
1: Yeah.
0: And I don't mean like a high school production. I mean if you've never seen like a professional theatrical performance before, it can sometimes almost be a little bit of like a I've gotta reset for my standard of what is naturalized.
1: No, yeah, because you also have to understand that, like, everything is so precise because of the, because of the medium, you know, because the fact that this is a silent film, it has to, to read a certain way, you know, um, the movie, regardless of you knowing how to read, needs to be understood.
0: Absolutely and also that's why they don't bog you down with with title cards is because if you were just constantly trying to read and keep up with lines it'd be boring it'd be choppy nothing would really land you just have to sit and watch and observe and that's also why the music is so important
1: oh yeah it's it's a it's a complete um uh, like a like a mood inducing thing. It, it's, it's filling
0: in everything that the fact that they can't speak, you know, is is pulling away. The music is putting it all back in.
1: Well, that's why you know I equated it to being like mime work or or um, like clown work is because of the fact that that is also a silent medium that is that has to be portrayed through everything but. You have to be bigger than life in order for simple things to be translated correctly to to your audience. Absolutely. And, um, but once you get past, you know, that little, like, learning curve, I think that this movie is, is truly very honest and very heartbreaking. Uh, when that kid dies with the cigarette, it was heartbreaking. Um, And I think that this movie tows a very fine line between um being being a serious drama and also being like a truly lovely movie about brothers you yeah. know i think that it's it's doing a great job and i totally understand why this was the the benchmark movie for future war films
0: i only have two notes and and one is one is a note one is a comment okay the the note is there are times where our characters, if they literally just said the right thing at the right time, so much dramatic tension would be solved. Like Mary looking at him and being like, don't you recognize me? When when Jack is totally blottoed at the cafe in Paris. Say who you are.
1: But uh, yeah, I mean, I totally understand your your point, but also like, I also understand her being so hurt by this person who has known her for so that he long can't
0: recognize that her. he
1: doesn't he can't even look at her and see who she is. And you know, that's that would be like, you know, me looking at you and being like, I've never seen this person before in my life. It doesn't matter if you tell me your name at that point, you know. For sure. And also, her name is Mary. Do you know how many Marys were probably alive in the 20s? No,
0: you make valid points on that one. Um, By the way, uh, Buddy Rogers was actually loaded during that whole scene
1: oh my gosh okay so um my note for that scene actually is not necessarily the bubbles thing oh it's the bubbles thing it went on for so long they let the bubbles
0: gag go way too long
1: oh gosh they they might as well have just made it a whole like just throw a tap number in this thing like it was (laughs) (laughs) it probably would have been more interesting it's just it went on for way too long i could have i could have had that thing nipped down so so easily
0: speaking of the cafe i do have another little bit of history for you okay okay there are two things of relevance in the cafe scene the first one is it depicts two women one of whom is dressed like a man openly on a date
1: oh yeah yeah because when they do the pan through of the couples on the table which i thought was a was a great visual um there is definitely the the two women sitting at a table one dressed, very
0: obviously romantically involved
1: yeah one and i thought that that was um it reminded me of something that i that i saw on on instagram always on instagram that was um lesbians of the time would dress very much like in in male attire because it was seen as such a taboo and they would like wear a monocle and stuff like that because also monocles were very expensive and it was a you know, it was a scene as, as as having like a wealth, but also, you know, a lot of famous lesbians at the time were like, I'm a I'm a rock a monocle. And that's And that's what that scene really reminded me of. It was just like this really so quick. Like if you weren't paying attention, you you wouldn't have noticed. Really enjoyed it.
0: Absolutely. It's a it's an inner but it's also, I guess and I don't know if this is it's very Parisian.
1: Oh yeah. Also yeah I <laughs> I completely get that mindset as well, you know when in paris it's like a it's it's like a whole different world, you know, mm-hmm. especially back then when <laughs> they're so used to to american culture and that's why i love that scene too with him just like going buck wild with this woman you know uh the the french spelling in the in the in the yes what they give her like hagrid
0: fucking vernacular (laughs) you know like we have to spell the accent
1: oh it was horrible (laughs) because you knew that like she wasn't french yeah like at all um
0: Another fun thing about that sh- the, the cafe, you mentioned the the shot where it's this long oneer and it's not very long but it's this one-er that goes across like 3 4 tables and then lands on the fifth table, the fourth or fifth table that is where our our characters are mm-hmm. and it's our introduction into them in this cafe. How do you think they did it?
1: I'm going oh gosh, I'm thinking in modern terms oof um,
0: cuz they didn't have a steady cam the steady cam didn't show up until uh the 70s
1: and i guess i'm i'm having a hard time envisioning what like a 20s camera would look like cuz i was i was
0: almost like the gatling gun that they had on the on the wheel wagon
1: oof okay cuz i was thinking rope like they had it on one end had you know the pulley like the whole thing roped off
0: you're really close
1: and then just kind of let it go and it like would stop at a point because like that was like the lowest point or whatever and it would just like naturally stop there but like also is this a hand crank number
0: um i think i'm not a hundred percent certain but i think that because at this point it was a big hollywood production it probably did have something that was like a you crank it and then hit it kind of like a watch mechanic to where it was self-rotating. It probably okay. didn't have to be truly hand-cranked at this point.
1: Then that's then that's my guess is is it was on a rope and they just kind of let that thing go and
0: you're, you're pretty close. They built a hanging dolly track system essentially.
1: Oh, well that's a fancier version of and what so I said. <laughs> they,
0: they went and they put into the set these metal beams that connected down to a track. They put a little wheel cart on that, and then the cameraman was just like holding onto the camera, which was semi affixed to the cart. And they just wheeled that whole son of a bitch through, and that's also why everyone, if you notice, leans yes! back right at the well, end that's of their why interaction. I was thinking that it's something that they isn't are really making controlled. clearance for the camera.
1: No, yeah, and so like my other guess was going to be that. It was all just like kind of like theater magic where Where it was
0: zoomed in. And the moment that they clear visually a table, everyone just yanks everything out of the way.
1: Yes. I was literally like, people are like sitting at their table, sitting at their table and go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, you were very close. Um, My other comment, not my note, but my comment is that the real bad guy of this movie is Sylvia. So the woman oh
1: my that our God. two characters
0: <laughs> are fighting over is not Mary. It is this other woman, Sylvia. And Sylvia, for the entire duration of the movie pretty much, is like dating David, but actively leading on Jack. You know, she lets Jack take this locket with a picture in it that was for David. Uh she lets Jack continually write her letters where he's like, I love you, Sylvia. And she then writes David letters where she's like, Jack loves me, but I really love you. And so the active bad guy of this motion picture is not the German Empire. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Germany (laughs) it's this one woman
0: Sylvia
1: oh my gosh all right I guess um it's player devil's advocate sure um I think she just really felt bad for him and like really didn't want to you know tell him no and like have that be a whole thing like it was just easier for her to just be like this guy likes me whatever because that's why she ends up letting him take the locket is because like he
0: but she lets it go for too long man
1: well yeah but she ends up being the you know the the loser in the end because like at the end of the day the man that she loves in in reality is is the one who dies at war
0: and she loses at the end because she is the bad guy.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Honestly, she's barely a character in this thing. I no, think it's and, so and funny how much thing. they fight over her.
0: It's, it is also kind of odd that they even include Sylvia when you, you could have just put some of this dramatic tension with the Mary character.
1: Well, I guess I don't know if it would have landed as well when he finally realizes his feelings for her. True. I think that having the other woman, you know, having him have the locket and all of that stuff. And, you know, the the, one of the soldiers even is like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that she was your girl when he starts bad-mouthing Mary when she gets, like, kicked out of the army for possibly having sex with him. When in reality, that's not the case. But, no, I think that then that ending wouldn't have wouldn't have made it you know no we would
0: have had to restructure other things you know i think
1: i think that this entire thing can be summed up in 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 naruto um you know we've got our naruto character with with jack we've got our sasuke with david we've got dear old mary who is hinata Mm -hmm. and we've got sylvie who sylvia who is uh,
0: sakura yeah sakura
1: and so you know just like naruto the ending is actually hinata getting her wish which is getting to marry the dude that she loves
0: no you're right um but that's my that's my only other comment on it
1: Um, (laughs) no honestly i i completely agree i thought that her character was completely pointless yeah entirely i really enjoyed um random aside the the fashion of this movie um it's very rare that you see like the early 20s i mean not the early 20s but the early like 1900s really on film in an accurate sense like this these are people
0: funnily enough all the war stuff is completely anachronistic
1: interesting
0: because it's it's 20s war attire not true great war attire.
1: Okay, well I was more talking about like
0: when they get to the cafe and some of their casual wear and things yes, like that. Yes, and
1: the fact that Sylvia because she is like a, you know, it's um they're portraying the the 1917 in 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 the movie. Um even though it's the the late 20s when they're actually making it. But like you see you see Mary dressed very like grungy almost of the time comparatively so, you know, compared to, Sylvia. to Sylvia who's like this very like rich woman and she's got like her you know <laughs> rich lady curls and things you know um I just I really enjoyed the aesthetic of her feeling very like old money like um David's family yeah felt whereas like um mary and and jack felt very like you know you gotta wear clothes kind of thing and it doesn't really matter the look of them more so than the function and i it's just re- fun to to see it in it's in its time
0: absolutely um dear if you had to to rate it out of five what would you give wings
1: um i'm gonna give wings a four
0: okay I'm going to go four and a half.
1: Okay. That bubble scene lasted entirely too long. That scene could have been two minutes tops, and that thing goes on for, like, 15.
0: No, that's fair. Um, I think it's pretty great. I agree that the bubble scene is a little bit of an issue. Um, but no, I, I think for the most part it's... It's really, it's, it's, it's pretty spectacular. And, um... Oh,
1: the plane stuff is absolutely bananas.
0: And here's my last little bit of of trivia for you. Um, so the recreation of the battle at the end involved 3,500 people in real life. Mm -hmm. 3,500 servicemen were shipped out and filmed that final battle sequence. During production... Two military planes were actually destroyed. Uh, The stuntman, Dick Grace, who was one of the stuntmen of the time, um, ended up injuring himself in a plane crash. And there was actually the death of an active-duty military officer, uh, Cadet Charles Wisely, Um, who died during production of the film in an accident, and he was given a full military funeral. Um, And uh, there was also an incident when they were doing the final battle scene. Uh, uh, Wellman, William Wellman, had the whole thing mapped out, and they ran multiple rehearsals, and he knew the timing of this five minutes. It was exactly five minutes of the battle. And he didn't trust anyone else with it, and so he hit the plungers for all of the explosives. He had this, like, 18-switch board in front of him. And while they were making the movie, the Money Men ended up getting nervous about this because he was very ornery, and he eventually just stopped talking to the producers of the film and that kind of thing. And so they sent down Money Men to figure out what was going on. And so he's up in this booth trying to do this, and this is when one of the fucking assholes decides to go, What you doing over here? And starts trying to talk to William Wellman as he is literally hitting the buttons to cause explosions to happen. Live explosions with 3,500 troops on the field. And because he gets distracted, he ends up hitting a wrong cue. And thankfully, no one was seriously, seriously injured, But the moment that he realized that he hit a wrong cue, he essentially, without turning to look at him, was like, you better get out of here or when I am done with this, I'm going to come over here and kick your ass. And after that night, he was convinced that he was about to lose the picture and they came and visited him in his hotel room. He was sheets to the wind. And they were like, don't worry, you get to keep the picture, whatever you need. (laughs) and that's my those are my last little bits of of trivia for for wings
1: delightful mhm
0: it's it's an insane movie you you literally even if you're not used to seeing a silent film i think it is worth watching if only because you literally cannot make a movie like this anymore
1: yeah it's illegal
0: <laughs> <laughs> as it probably should be but like if you want to go back and see Some of the most incredible things that you can possibly ever witness humans doing live in multiple takes of on film. Wings is it. This is right up there with seeing all the crazy shit that Tom Cruise does. But times like 11.
1: Well, yeah, because everybody's doing it, not just Tom Cruise.
0: Yeah. And, like, that was the expectation. So... Do you have any other final thoughts on, on Wings? No. Okay. Well, then we'll go ahead and jump into our next one. And I couldn't find a trailer, so you're actually just getting legitimately just a clip from the movie. <laughs> uh, and so go ahead and give it a listen.
1: Look at your mother. She's still staring at Well, who wouldn't stare at you? Tony, promise you'll do it. You know, every time
0: I think how lucky I am, I feel like screaming. Please, Please
1: promise
0: you'll invite them. Oh, I feel a
1: scream coming on right
0: now. You no, know we'll have to face it sooner oh, or yeah, later. Oh, it's starting right down on my toes. of
1: a tingling sensation. Now look, we can and invite and go My knees, my legs are traveling faster and Tony, faster and faster. You're not really it's going to scream. It's in my stomach either. right now. It's got me, Alice. It's going here, up, Tony? And up and up and up and up. It's no, all no, over no, my body now. Here.
0: No, it's my throat now. What I can do is fighting to get out. Oh. I don't. I can't hold it any longer. Here it goes. So that was You Can't Take It With You uh, from 1938. Um, It's directed by Frank Capra. It is written by Robert Riskin, based on a play of the same name by George Kaufman and Moss Hart. Uh, It stars Gene Arthur, James Stewart, Lionel Barrymore, uh, Edward Arnold, and the premise is the son of a snobbish Wall Street banker becomes engaged to a woman from a good-natured but decidedly eccentric family, not realizing that his father is trying to force her family from their home for a real estate development.
1: Wow, that was a completely different synopsis than the one that I read like the other day. Really? Yeah, the, the one that I read the other day was like an eccentric patriarch, something, something, etc., etc. But it was like a completely, it was focused on a completely, like it was focused on the old man, not, Interesting. not the, the young dude. So I think that that's really fascinating.
0: <laughs> um, so, you know, the 20s were the roaring 20s. The 30s were the depression. And so a lot of plays that ended up being written by people like uh, Kaufman and Hart or Clifford Odette's were class narratives. They were very, very centered around class and class structure and the the wealthy versus the destitute and that kind of thing. Um, So the play came out in like 35, 36. The rights for this were bought in 37 and the movie came out in 38. Um, And it was also the first of three collaborations between James Stewart and director Frank Capra. It's, um, You Can't Take It With You, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it was, and I'll only do the the movies that it was nominated against, um, it was nominated against The Adventures of Robin Hood, Alexander's Ragtime Band, Boys Town, The Citadel, Four Daughters, The Grand Illusion, Jezebel, Pygmalion, and test pilot, um, and dear, would you like to to start us off, or would you like me to start us off? Um,
1: I mean, it doesn't matter to me, I guess. Take it away. <laughs> Take it away. Um, okie dokie. I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed this movie. Like in a in a genuine. Like, actual laugh-out-loud moments. This movie is really funny. And completely off-the-wall bonkers. Um, I think that it has, like, a very slow beginning. Because of the fact that, like, we're very centered in, like, the Wall Street side of it. Um, But once you get to, to Grandpa's house, it is ridiculous. and honestly like I loved this movie. I thought that this movie was hysterical and completely still very very relatable in probably even more than than Wings was. like in a true like these are still mindsets that people have today. there is still gonna be the money man who has you know the rich family who are just who just care about their money and want to keep putting themselves into money you know he has he has his bank or whatever his his business is his land deals that he's doing, and he's already made his probably i don't know i'd say thirties son vice president and is soon going to give him the presidency when he when he steps down and this is just how. The family is whereas um grandpa his and and alice you know alice is um his granddaughter and they're in love and it's truly like a Jul- romeo and juliet story at that point you know you've got these two young lovers with these two different households you know at arms against each other with two totally different mindsets and you've got this like grandpa who's just a delightful old man who wants everybody to do everything that makes them happy and don't you worry about money because money doesn't matter and that ends up making the household just this this smorgasbord of eccentric personalities and it's just it's just such a delightful movie honestly and i you can tell that this thing was a play yeah, in in every sense of the word, I loved the the whole gag of them constantly putting the the, the photo back on the pillar. I thought that that was perfect. Um,
0: people knocking it off, people putting it back up, and
1: it was always like a different person who would put it back up. It like it was just like some subconscious thing that they were like, "Yep, gotta put the picture back up." Like it wasn't you know nobody made like a big deal out of it, but it was always a part of the. The comedy of it you know or or um businessman jones um the the man who plays Al- anthony p kirby um you know him constantly sitting in that like rocking chair
0: and- that was one of my favorite bits
1: <laughs> and every time he would sit down the chair would like hit him in the back and he would he would just do this face at the camera that was so perfect of him just like his disdain for this place for this chair for these people was just summed up in this perfect moment of every time he would sit down just being like son of a bitch
0: i'm uncomfortable you know
1: like i hate this i hate this so much and i just i just thought that this movie was absolutely just so delightful and i thought i really thought going into this that it was not going to be funny and i don't know why the
0: description to your point does not necessarily lend itself immediately to the idea of it's a comedy like it's this, it's, this it's is om- a comedy <laughs> it's honestly almost one of the early examples of like a dramedy like yes. it really kind of dances that line of comedy and drama and how close the two interact and when they cross over
1: mm-hmm. and honestly like I just thought that this movie, because also, you know, movies of this time with this description are very, like, it's about a love story, and so you It could
0: be a real snooze.
1: Yeah, you get just bogged down by by people talking and, and unnecessary drama and, like, things that aren't relatable, whereas I really, like, honestly, once we got, like, ten minutes into this movie, I was hooked. I was really, like, where is this going? Absolutely. I... Yeah. What is, well, what are your thoughts of this movie? I've I've rambled on now for for a while.
0: Um I'm totally with you. Um I think that one it's incredibly very much a movie of the of the of the time, right? This hits directly into the Zeitgeist of the period, which is people feeling poor and downtrodden but also feeling like what are these what are these idiots? What are these rich idiots doing? you know, which is a very relatable idea, you know. Uh, Elon Musk, all of the time, I'm like, what is this rich idiot doing? And so I think that, like, it it still is very timeless, again, like you said, because time has this way of repeating certain cycles, and and so it's very interesting that uh, You know, 90 some odd years, 80 some odd years later, there is still so much relevance for so much of what this thing is talking about. Because it's a generational home. It's grandpa and his daughter and her husband and his granddaughter, uh, granddaughters, mm-hmm. and one of his granddaughter's husbands. And, you know, it's this true generational home that also has these these weird tag-along people, and it it feels, um, you know, very reminiscent of now, where you've got, you know, families living together, or you've got a whole bunch of roommates crammed into a little place together, and so I think that you're right. I think that it's a very timeless piece. Also, the play that this is based on is a Pulitzer Prize winner. Good. Um, Which is, like, the biggest prize that you can get in writing, essentially. Um, I thought that James Stewart did a great job. You were right. He was literally 30 on the money.
1: Hey! <laughs> nice. That was a solid guess.
0: Um, and, and James Stewart, um, Frank Camper, I saw a quote where essentially he's this ideal personification of a, of an American because he has all of this intellectual, prowess and ability to speak clearly and that kind of thing but he also has optimism and hope Mm -hmm. and that that makes him this very relatable very warm person and he's funny he's so funny in this you know you see him in later movies that he does like rear window and some of the thrillers that he did with hitchcock and he's definitely charming and likable in his own ways but he's actively funny in this movie
1: i think that everybody's just like very charismatic and like understands their part to a t that like i i you know not being able to to imagine them and anything else
0: absolutely and it's also an interesting way to go back and see some of the differences of a silent film and a talkie Mm -hmm. um because now we don't have to have the title cards the scenes have to kind of lead into themselves a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know, because we don't have the card to explain everything. Also, another thing that I really enjoyed was there were times where you could obviously tell where, wherever they had set up the microphone, because back at this point in time, not the, the actors weren't clipped.
1: No. The
0: set was miked and it was usually in like a vase of flowers or something like that where everyone would then gather around the table and sit and do their dialogue, and then they would move along. And so I think that this set had a lot of microphones hung, but there are a few moments where actors sound like they're all the way over here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One moment especially for In the kitchen. Oh, well, there was that one, but there was also the one where... um the the other businessman who had been who had been cheated out of his monies mm-hmm. came and Ramsey. was like yeah and was like talking at the at the the business meeting and I was like <laughs> but also because his back was like to us the entire time that like a lot of his sound was going away from the camera yeah,
0: his back was to us the mic was probably somewhere in the middle of the table
1: and so he's just <laughs> I was and he's like, supposed to be so- playing
0: like a week.
1: So far away. I was like, whoa! What? Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and so it's it's again this interesting timepiece um that is both timeless, but also is a great way to go back and re-examine um filmmaking process and mm-hmm. techniques and how film grew. And going ten years, and I know that we're also dealing with different different genres. Uh, entirely but just moving 10 years forward in time it's a completely different ballpark of filmmaking um and yeah so much of the of the early talkies were based in plays Mm -hmm. because that was the easiest thing to do grab a play convert it cast it shoot it
1: and and not to say anything bad about the acting in um wings but i think because this movie is a talkie. It just, everything just gets so much crisper and really um, kind of sets the tone for a good bit of history of not only film, but also theater is, you know, because these people were probably from theater originally that they've got, you know, all of this, this dramatic prowess that, that you don't, you don't really get before you, know? you
0: get so many wonderful wide shots where everyone just has to be on their ship
1: yes no and
0: it's one gets absolu- to take a break everyone's in character for this two minute wide
1: yes and it's just so good and then you know the all i think that all of the emotional moments hit i think that all of the comedic moments hit i think this movie is is absolutely hysterical um and i and i understand everybody's point of view you know, I think that all and of the characters... everyone has are, one. Yeah, I think that all of the characters are fully rounded. I I don't think that Anthony P. Kirby is intending to be an evil, bad person. And I think that that's the problem with a lot of bad character, you know, bad people in things. is like, ah, oh, you're the villain, so be the villain. Yeah, curl your mustache. <laughs> Indeed.
0: Maniacal laugh. <laughs>
1: no, literally. Where it's like, he truly... This is his life. This is this is how his life has always been. Why why should I change it?
0: This is what he was told his life should be.
1: Exactly. And he fell in line with that, and his son should do the same for him, because that's what, you know, this is the relationship. And so um, I just, I truly think that, that everybody has, like, a, just a genuine aura about them, you know, even even Kal- Kalishnikov, um with whatever russian accent that was supposed to be
0: he is um he was russian and he ended up living sometime in turkey as well
1: oh okay cuz i was like your accent is is weird
0: mhm it's like russian and then turkish and then an american uh you know learning english later
1: Okay, okay, then that makes way more sense. I was like, this guy is doing a horrible Russian accent. Well,
0: and I think that he was trying to ham it up a little bit as well.
1: Oh, yeah, no, for sure.
0: But Uh, he was known for being, like, Russians in things.
1: Um, okay, okay. It took me a minute watching this movie to realize that he was supposed to be Russian, because when he started talking, I was like, who are you? Um... But no, I thought that gosh, I think that this movie is is truly truly very um wonderful.
0: No, absolutely. Um dear, if you had to rate it out of 5?
1: Uh, I'm going to give this movie a 5. I think that this is a new like classic for me, like a once a year watch kind of deal. Like really? I really enjoyed this one a lot, honestly. You know, we watch um White Christmas. Like every year. Like I feel like this is this is just up there with White Christmas. The same kind of like values.
0: High praise.
1: I I like this movie a lot. I thought that it was a fun fucking ride. I I actively cackled during this movie. You are my witness. I No, that's I laughed.
0: <laughs> no, like I haven't laughed this hard at a movie, you know, since like we watched Barb and Star.
1: No, truly. And it was just it was so much heart in this movie for for it to, to have been, you know, almost a hundred years ago.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll give it a five as well. Yeah! Um, That's pretty much all that we have for, for Wings and for You Can't Take It With You. Um, as far as what we've been watching... Um, let's see. Honestly, the only thing that we've watched <laughs> from the stuff that we did for the last episode to now was the original Halloween from 1978. Um, well, and, like, we've been watching Jeopardy, but that's, you know...
1: Woo! I miss Amy Schneider. Ah, Amy! Um, I we, miss you!
0: We cracked out the, uh, the 4K that I recently got. If you follow me on social, or follow the film buds on social media, I recently went and used a gift card that my in-laws gave me to go and buy the Halloween collection in 4K. Um, looks. Out fucking standing and the new audio mix on it incredible
1: there are times when you like get to watch a movie and it's basic like it's closest to theatrical release setting and there's just nothing else like it honestly it's like butter it's so smooth it was just it was a fun watch honestly because, like you know, growing up watching old movies, you always get some grain. You always get a little bit of like distortion, or something goes wrong in translation. the color grading
0: on the home release is off. You yeah, know, yeah,
1: you know, it going from being um, on film to eventually on probably VHS to the now on disc. You know, it it starts to degrade over time. And
0: they sourced these from all of them. It's it's Halloween one through five in 4k they sourced them all from original negatives of the film the first two or three were overseen by the cinematographer of the original three dean cundy um and they're they're immaculate looking oh and and again the new mix on them i heard like cracks of thunder in the car drive that i didn't hear before you know like it's a truly incredible experience and i I really enjoyed rewatching uh Halloween in four k um, beyond that, while she's been at work and i've been doing research and job hunting and and buds things um, i've just been watching the rest of them with their audio commentary tracks i've now made it through Halloween's one through three listening to um all six of the commentary tracks that that provides um and they've been really incredible um halloween 2 is my least favorite of the first three and no offense to to rick rosenthal or, or any of those people but it's also probably my least favorite commentary tracks um i love the two on the first one one is carpenter and curtis and they're hilarious together uh, the other one is Tommy Wallace, um, Nick Castle, and Dean Kundy together. And then with the third one, one is Tom Atkins, who's hilarious. Uh, and then the other one is Tommy Lee Wallace, who is much more informative. Um, and that's pretty much all that we've, been, that we've been watching. The only other things that I wanted to share news-wise, um, first is that famed cinematographer Roger Deakins who is a longtime collaborator with the Coens, um, starting at Barton Fink, but he also did Intolerable Cruelty, Fargo, The Big Lebowski, um, also the cinematographer of 1917.
1: Ah, oh, such a mm, good movie.
0: Was just knighted. Oh! Mm-hmm. And so he he received his knighthood, uh, and so he is now Sir Roger Deacons.
1: Oh, good, good, uh, and, excellent. And, and the Queen so did something today.
0: It was Charles that knighted him.
1: Oh, good. The Queen didn't do anything <laughs> today. <laughs> that sounds more like it. She doesn't even break in her own shoes.
0: And so that's, um, that's one little bit of news. And then the only other thing that I wanted to share was, since we're talking about award season things and, and, and such, um, Oscar voting closed yesterday... But we don't have those nominees yet but we do have the BAFTA nominees and I won't share all of them Um, the BAFTAs are the British um, Film and Television Awards and so the best film nominees are Belfast, Don't Look Up, Dune, Licorice Pizza and The Power of the Dog Outstanding British Film, After Love, Ali and Ava, Belfast, Boiling Point, Cyrano Everybody's talking about Jamie. Apparently not, because I've never heard of it.
1: Uh, But they are talking (laughs) about Chris, am I right?
0: (laughs) Uh, House of Gucci. Uh, Last Night in Soho. Woo! No Time to Die. And Passing. Um, I won't do Debut. I won't do that one. Um, The nominees for director include Alim Khan. uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Audrey DeWan, Paul Thomas Anderson, Jane Campion and Julia Duke or no?
1: It's Paul Thomas Anderson,
0: not Resident Evil.
1: Okay. That
0: is Paul W.S. Anderson.
1: Okay, I was about to be like if it is, this movie might be bad. Paul
0: Thomas Anderson is um Boogie Nights.
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Better, better.
0: Um, original Screenplay, Aaron Sorkin for Being the Ricardos, Kenneth Branagh, Belfast, Adam McKay, Don't Look Up, Uh, Zach Balin, King Richard, Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza. Um, so they, they dropped all of their nominees. You can go and look at them. The last thing that I will share, and I, I tweeted about it as well, is I decided to do a little poking around. A lot of people were talking about Spencer being snubbed. And um, everyone on Twitter was saying, well, it's because it didn't show the royal family in a good light, and the Best Picture nominees are decided by closed committee, and the president of BAFTA is Prince William.
1: Oh, that's super funny. I hope that they're right. I hope that he was like, I hate this because how dare you?
0: So I did a little bit more digging beyond that. And I learned that um, there are some interesting people affiliated with BAFTA. So BAFTA, the president, has always been royal, with one exception, Richard Attenborough.
1: Richard Attenborough. That's uh, a good choice.
0: Good old, good old director of Gandhi, and if you don't know him from that, then he was John Hammond in Jurassic Park.
1: Mm, only John Hammond in Jurassic Park. Don't Don't think about anything else.
0: And, um, <laughs> well, I was trying to give them something that they'll know.
1: Oh, I'll, that's the only thing I know. <laughs>
0: that's fair. Uh, but then, uh, beneath the president, there are three VPs, one for film, one for television, and one for video games. So, No Time to Die, the new Bond film, is nominated, right? hmm The VP of Films is legacy baby producer Barbara Broccoli whose father, Cubby Broccoli, was the original producer of the Bond films. Mm. Our VP of TV is a man by the name of Greg Dyke, who was a journalist, quotes around that, broadcaster, he did some, some soccer broadcasting, but he is most known for being the man who brought tabloid TV to Britain. Ugh. <laughs> and our third one... Our guy who is the VP of games, this is the one that's the real head scratcher for me. First of all, he's American.
1: Well, we can't all be perfect.
0: <laughs> Second of all, uh, David Gardner is his name, and he has done nothing at all in the video game sector professionally. He is the co founder of the finance and investment advice company Motley Fool.
1: They literally didn't have anybody to pick, and they were like, (laughs) does anybody want the job? And he raised his hand, and no one else did, and they were like, you, sir, you get the job.
0: So I don't know when he was nominated to the position, you only serve as a VP for six years. Um, But I found it very interesting, and um, a little uh, unsurprising why some of the nominees are potentially stale, I also found it a little bit interesting. I feel like there's almost a conflict of interest for you to be the active producer of a film that is trying to be nominated and be vice president. I feel like you almost have to recuse yourself at that point.
1: Um, the only thing that I've been thinking about this entire time is I'm so glad that your last name isn't Broccoli. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair. You'd have kept Thompson, I think. No
1: i i don't think that i could have been lauren broccoli that sounds horrible like i like to eat broccoli but you know thank god her dad was famous or else like why keep it
0: no that's fair (laughs) um so that's a little i hope a little helpful insight into award season um i'm going to talk more about the oscars and award season some of the controversy around that some of the history that has come from it as we continue on um but I think that this was a good little introductory episode. Um dear, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
1: Um Oh gosh, let me let me pull something out of the rabbit's hat. Oof. Um <laughs> That was rough. Um I don't know, man. I don't know. Um watch something from a time period that you're not familiar with.
0: Yeah, go back pick like the oldest film that you think that you've seen and push forward.
1: Yeah. You you never know what you're what you're going to find. I think that already even though this is our our first, you know, episode of this 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 theme, I've I've very much after watching both of these movies, like I I told you this. I was like, "Wow. Okay, you know, I understand why these movies were were picked. I understand why they won, yeah, and it was it was great to to go back and, and, and watch something that, you know, a hundred years ago, somebody was like, "We can't get any better than this."
0: No, absolutely. And so many of the people that you respect now cinematically, or that you respect a few generations ago. This is the stuff that inspired them. This is the stuff that influenced them. And so, I'm a big believer that if you want to be either a a serious studier of film as an art form or just an artist in any sense, whatever the art form is, you have to know where it comes from. You have to know the history of it. You have to have an appreciation for how far it has come for the people that were considered masters of the time, for the pieces of art that are considered, you know, master works. Um, And even though the best picture category, you know, an Oscar has its own controversies, going back and just picking movies that won best picture is a great way to go back and start to integrate some of that into your palette and learn more and be inspired by the things that inspired modern filmmakers
1: and honestly you might be surprised at how many things that you think are like a new trope in a movie might not be
0: are you thinking about the boxing fight and in, in wings
1: oh my gosh they were knocking each other out that was nuts
0: they really fought
1: no i know that's what i'm saying uh
0: wellman set that up
1: Oh wow, yeah, I'm sure that man—that man, that man wasn't inc- crazy. Yeah. See, see, I think you really undersold how bad that man was. But, no, that, yeah. but that's okay. History, history knows.
0: Um, but that's pretty much everything that we have for y'all. Um, I won't bore y'all any further. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't already, um, go and sign up for the newsletter. You you've missed February's, but you can be ready for Marches. Um. Go and follow us on social media. Um, And if you would like, go and drop us a review. In March next month, we're going to try and get Rotten Tomatoes certified. And one of those criterias are a certain number of reviews that keep us above four stars. Um, So if you like it, even if you just like this episode and you want to essentially rate the show on this one alone and you never listen to another one again... It would be very appreciated. Yeah, Um, I
1: mean, we're working hard.
0: Yeah. Especially, yeah. Um, And it it would really mean a lot to us. Um, Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We're the film buds. Bye. Bye!